You're listening to a presentation of Arising, a community of faith designed to see people far from God raise a true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Would you give it up for our band one more time? Man, that's good. Hey, and you don't know this, but the song that we just sang, Healer, that's a song that was written right out of this house. Like, that's a song that, that's original. That's, we got talent here. Come on. Come on. So, hey, uh, I wonder, how, how many of you guys are fans of Family Feud? Anybody a fan of Family Feud? Just make some noise, yeah? We got, we surveyed 100 people. We got the top six answers on the board. Family Feud, yeah? Cool. Well, hey, uh, just, just in case you don't know what Family Feud is, I'll explain it to you real quick. What they do is they survey 100 people. They get the top four, five, six, seven, eight answers, put them up on the board. And then teams have to guess what they think the top answers are. The, the team that, that gets the most points wins. And so that's Family Feud. And so if you're a fan of Family Feud, perhaps you've seen this clip that I want to show you. Uh, or maybe you're just addicted to the internet. And if that's the case, chances are you've seen this clip as well. Here, why don't you guys take a look at this. Yes! Yes! <laughs> Point values have doubled. Here we go. Top six answers are on the board. Name something that follows the word pork. Lawn. Huh? Lawn. Pork lawn. <laughs> L-I-O-E. Lawn. Oh. Pork lawn. Glad you spelled it. I'm <laughs> looking for the pork lawn. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Pork belly. Pork belly. What am? Name something that follows the word pork. You pine. Huh? <laughs> huh? <laughs> you pine. one on YouTube, but it ain't going to be number one on that. I bet every dollar I got, you the only person that said coupon. Coupon! All right. 
And so now that everybody knows how to play Family Feud, uh, I want to play a bit of Family Feud right here with you guys. And so here's, here's how this works. I, I surveyed 100 people. I got the top 10 answers on the board. And um, oh, I asked 100 people this question. Hey, what's the thing that you're most afraid of? And I, actually, I, di- I didn't ask 100 people. I just did a quick Google search and got the top 10 things that people are most afraid of. And so we're going to play Family Feud. I want you to just shout out what you think there are. Top 10 things people are afraid of. And, and, and you could be loud and wrong. That's okay. So just go ahead and shout it out. What, what do you think people are afraid of? Hold on. Wait. What did you say? Heights? Yeah. Heights is one of them. Who else? Public speaking is one of them. Yeah. Spiders, snakes is what I heard. What else? What else? Death. Yeah. Huh? Fire. Okay. Gotcha. So, so yeah, some of you guys got them. Here, here I want to show you the top 10 things people are afraid of. Here they are. Uh, the, the first one is public speaking. That's the thing I'm afraid of. And so number two is heights. Going to the dentist is one of them. Uh, snakes, number four. Flying, number five. Spiders is six. Enclosed spaces. Mice, dogs, and then thunder and lightning. Any of you afraid of those? Make some noise. Yeah, all right, you're a bunch of scaredy cats, all right, no, it's good. So, so these are the top 10 things people are afraid of, but, but I think when people are asked this question, hey, what's the thing that you're most afraid of? They, they really respond with the, the first thing that comes to their mind, and, and, and that's a good way to respond. Chances are that probably is something that you're afraid of, but, but I think if we took some time to, to think through this question and just, and just really ask, uh, what am I really afraid of? And we, we really thought about it. I think we'd come up with some different answers. Uh, I, think, I think a lot of us, if we really thought about it, uh, one thing that we'd be really afraid of is to be alone. I think a lot of us would be afraid to be alone. I mean, I mean, just think about how you live your life, right? I mean, you're, you're surrounded with friends. Some of you have family in town. You have coworkers and things like that. And so we're surrounded by people. But, but just imagine, what if you were all alone? What if it was just you? You were isolated. So, so some of you would say, that'd be awesome. Because then I get some peace and quiet, finally, right? But, but, but once that wore off, I think, I think a lot of us would want human interaction. We, we, we'd want to be around other people. One of the ways that they punish people in prison, as though prison weren't punishment enough, one of the ways that they punish people is they sentence them to solitary confinement. They, they force them to, to be alone. The reason is because, as human beings, we hate being Alone, And I'm not just talking about like living alone. I'm talking about being lonely. Because the truth is you could be surrounded by people and still be all alone. You could be surrounded by people in the city and still feel lonely. You know, we're, we're concluding the series that we've been in for the past 10 weeks called The Code. And uh, I wanted to start off the rising going over a 10-week series. Usually when you start a church, you don't start a church with 10 weeks of a series. That's really long. Uh, but I wanted to do that because I felt that it was really important for us to understand the culture of this church, our DNA, who we are. And so I said, we, we just need to do a series on who we are as a church so that it's not just some platitudes that we have up on a wall and we say, hey, here's how we'd like to be. But no, this is who we really are. And we said that our culture as a church, our DNA, our brand, our identity is shaped by our code of values, these 10 values we have on this banner and that, and that we have on our site. And, and again, these aren't just things that we say, hey, here's how we'd like to be, or here's how I am, or here's how our volunteers are, but this is how we are as a church. These are the things that matter to us. This is our identity. I was, I was talking with a friend of mine uh, a few days ago, and uh, he's, he's going to be leading a, a, an existing church, so he's, he's taking over at this church. 
And uh, I, I, I said, hey, well, tell me about this church that, that you're going to be leading. What's the culture like? What's their values? And he said, I don't really, I don't really know uh, what their values are. He said, they have all these values, but they're worded in these weird ways, and they're really long, and I, I don't know. And, 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 and some people ask me, they say, hey, James, why, why did you want to start a church versus leading a church that already existed? And so I'll tell you, the, the reason is because I knew... If I were to go lead a church that already existed, they already had a culture. They already had a way that they were, a way that they did things. And so if I went in there and, and saw some things that needed to change, it's really difficult to change a culture. But if you start off with a culture, then, then you don't really have to, have to change anything. You can kind of craft it y- yourself. And so I wanted to, to launch a church because I wanted to form the culture from the ground up. But, but he was telling me about this church that he was going to be leading. And I said, well, well, just what are some of the words that they have? And he said, you know, they talk about authenticity and excellence. And I said, well, do they do things excellently? And he said, no, they don't do things excellently at all. I said, wait, wait, so they have a value of excellence, but they don't live excellently. He said, yeah, no. And, and, and maybe you've experienced that with, with your company, maybe with your organization. Perhaps they have values, the place that you work at. And you're like, wait, we say we value this, but we don't really live that way. Why, why is that? That doesn't make sense. And so through this series, we've been talking about who we are. And these aren't just things that we, we have on a banner, but these are things that we actually live out. Because if we just say this is how we want to be, but we don't live it out, then it doesn't matter. And so today we're concluding with the value that we have that says we were created for community. You and I, we were created for community. And, and, and that's why I think if people were asked this question, hey, what are you afraid of? And you really took time to think about it. A lot of us would say being alone because you and I, we were made in the image of God. And because we were made in the image of God, we were created for community. Now, now you may push back and say, listen, I don't need any human interaction. Like, I don't need relationships. All I need is my cat. And, and if that's the case, like, if, if you just had your cat and no human interaction, you'd be a crazy cat lady or, or a crazy cat guy. And, and if that's you, hey, we're glad you're here because uh, love wins and uh, we're glad. Anyway, so, but, but we crave human interaction. We long for it because we were made in the image of God and because we were created for community. And so to help us really understand this value that we have, this truth about ourselves, uh, I need to teach you a few things. So we're going to go to Bible college, all right? So go ahead and check out your programs, get ready uh, to write some things down. And what I'm going to do is lay a foundation. We're going to lay a foundation here, and then at the end, we're going to talk about what that means for us. But first, we have to understand this. Uh, I'm going to attempt to explain a facet of God. I can't explain all of God. Uh, to you because we can't fully understand God, right? Like for us to try and fully understand God would be impossible. The reason is because you and I, we're finite beings. Our mind is only so big. We can only understand so many things. But God is infinite. He's vast. He's bigger than we can comprehend. So if you think you have God figured out, then you need to abandon that God and follow the one true God because the God you're thinking of is way too small. And so I'm going to attempt to explain a facet of God. Again, Trying to explain all of God would be as futile as like taking a soda can, dipping it into the ocean, holding it up and saying, look, the ocean is in here. And it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of true. I mean, that's part of the ocean, but the ocean is this vast, big, expansive thing. Like the ocean can't fit into a soda can in the same way. All of understanding of God can't fit into our small little minds. But, but, but here's the amazing thing. God gives us everything we need to understand about him in his word in the Bible. And so I want to explain just one facet of God to you. Today I want to talk to you about 
this truth that God is a triune God. Uh, saying that God is a triune God means that, that we believe as Christians that, that God is three in one. That, that in God there's the Father, there's the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is the Trinity, triune, three in one. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, this does not mean that there are three separate gods, but that God is three in one. It, 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 it means that God is one person with three different personalities. Not that God suffers from multiple personality disorder or schizophrenia, but God is three distinct persons in one. Not that God is this one body being with three heads or three people with three different rings and by your powers combined, I am Captain God. It's not, it's not like that. But, but, but that God is three separate people and in each person, each member of the Godhead of the Trinity is fully God. So God the Father is fully God, God the Spirit is fully God, and God the Son is fully God. Math with God is like this. It's one plus one plus one equals one. Uh, anybody less confused now? Okay. You see, you see what a hard job I got here? And that's why y'all should respond a little more. But, but, but so, this is, so, so this is God, right? That, that God is three in one. It's like, uh, so, so there's the Father, and the Father is fully God, and he's not greater than the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not greater than the Father or the Spirit. And the Spirit is not greater than the Father or the Son. Because in the Father is the Son and the Spirit. In the Son is the Father and the Spirit. And in the Spirit is the Son and the Father. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll try and give us a, a physical example so we can understand it a little better. Um, and, and this example is going to break down. The, the reason is because you can't have all three of these states in one but with God, you have all three states in one. Uh, think about the compound H2O, right? H2O can exist as a solid, as ice. Uh, and when it exists as ice, it is still fully H2O. It is complete in and of itself. It's not lacking anything. Uh, but in the same way, H2O can also exist as liquid in the form of water. And when H2O exists as water, it's still fully H2O. It's not lacking anything. It's complete. H2O can also exist as a gas in steam. And when it exists as steam, it is still fully H2O. It's not lacking anything. It's still fully complete. In the same way, God exists as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, complete in and of himself and fully God. And if you're still confused, uh, welcome to the club. <laughs> because because that, that's really the best that I can comprehend when it comes to the Trinity. But we need to understand this truth that God is three in one. I want to show you where we see this in Scripture. So if you have a Bible, would you open up to Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Genesis 1, 1. It's the very first book of the Bible, the very first page of the Bible. It's the easiest thing you'll ever open to. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We'll also have the words for you on the screen. Here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so when Genesis begins, the very first book of the Bible, it starts off with these two verses. And in these two verses, we see both members of the Trinity, the Father and the Spirit. Uh, we see God the creator, God the father, and then we see God the spirit. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is God the father. And then we see his spirit hovering over the water. So in the first two verses of the Bible, we see two members of the Trinity. But what about the third? Later on in the book of Genesis, uh, or in, in chapter 1 of Genesis, there's a conversation that takes place. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Here's what it says. God said, let us 
make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So so right here, this lets us know that you and I, we were created in the image of God. And so this is important. Hold on to it. We're going to come back to it later. But God is having a conversation with someone in verse 26. He says, let us make mankind in our image. And and, and so the question then is, well, who is God talking with? And and some people have have speculated that, that maybe God is talking with the angels, right? That God is there with the angels and he's talking with the angels and he says, let's make man in our image. But the, the problem is you and I weren't created in the image of God and angels. We were created only in the image of God. And so who is God talking with? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Let's find out. Uh, the answer is found in John chapter 1, verse 1. So go ahead and turn to John chapter 1, verse 1. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Uh, we also have the words for you on the screen. But John chapter 1, verse 1 um, is, gives us the answer. And, and John is writing a narrative about the life of Jesus. And so here, here's how he starts it off. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Notice, notice how John starts this off. He says, in the beginning, but we, we've seen that before, right? Where have we seen that? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, because Genesis 1, 1 starts off with, in the beginning. And so what John is doing here is he's making a connection between what he's about to say regarding Jesus to Genesis, See, John is writing to a mostly Jewish audience, and they would have been very familiar with the Torah. The the Torah are the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And when John starts off his gospel saying, in the beginning, his audience automatically would have thought, oh, that's in Genesis. And so here, John is making some sort of connection with Jesus in Genesis. Because see, in Genesis, God calls forth light out of darkness. In John, Jesus calls us out of the darkness of our sin into light, into the light of life, because Jesus himself is the light of life. In Genesis, God creates a world, a new creation. In John, Jesus makes us into a brand new creation, freeing us from our sin with his death on the cross. In Genesis, God does the work of creating a world, and he creates a pure, spotless humanity. In John, Jesus does the work on the cross of making you and I pure, spotless, and blameless by dying for us on the cross. And I feel like I'm preaching better than you're responding right now, okay? Okay, okay, come on. Just trying to teach you. Now, so John is making a connection between Jesus and Genesis. And he says that this word was in the beginning. Oh, by the way, God spoke all things into existence. We see this in in Genesis chapter 1, that uh, God spoke light from darkness and it happened. God said, let there be land and there was land. God said, let there be sky and there was sky. He said, let there, let there be plants and there were plants. He said, let there be stars and there were stars. He said, let there be fish and birds and, and animals and all those things came into existence except when God began to create us. He didn't speak us into existence. Genesis chapter two, 
verse 7 explains exactly how God created humanity. Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. See, God, when he created all things, he spoke all things into existence. John said, in the beginning was this word. And so, so through this word, God is speaking all things into existence. But when he gets to you and I, he doesn't speak us into existence. Instead, it's recorded that God formed us from the dust of the ground. That God reached his hand down and he got dirty to make us. That, that, that he reached down, he molded us carefully. He crafted us in the dust of the ground. And when he had finished his first creation of humanity, he breathed his breath into his lungs. You and I have the breath of God inside of us. Listen, you were created in the image of God. God molded you with his hands. And so because of that, you don't have to give in to insecurity any longer. Because of that, because you were made in the image of God, you don't have to demean yourself with negative self-talk anymore. Because you were made in the image of God, you don't have to cut yourself any longer. Because you were made in the image of God, you don't have to starve yourself anymore. Because you were made in the image of God, you don't have to hate what you see in the mirror. Because God doesn't make junk. And so you were made in the image of God. You have the very breath of God in your lungs. And so John says, in the beginning was this word, and this word was with God, and this word was God. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. So the question then is, what is this word that was with God in the beginning, this word that was God? What is this word? Well, John gives us the answer. It's in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's what John is saying. Hey, in the beginning, in the beginning, remember Genesis? Yeah, in the beginning, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. In the beginning was a word, and this word was with God, and this word actually was God. And let me tell you about this word in verse 14. This word put on flesh and dwelt among us. His name is Jesus. The person God is speaking with in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 is Jesus and the Spirit. God is speaking with himself. He's saying to Jesus, the word that was there in the beginning, through whom all things were made, hey, let's make man in our own image. We've together spoken all things into existence, but now together we're going to reach down and form humanity out of the dust of the ground and breathe our breath. And so, see, God, in the very beginning, is in community with himself. He, he has, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're in community with one another. See, the thing is, God didn't create us because he was lonely, God didn't create us because he needed somebody to talk to. God was already satisfied in himself. God created us because in God is love. And the overflow of love is creation. That's what love does. Love creates. Love makes. And Yeah, love makes. Make love. No, love makes. Love creates. And so God creates us because he's love. And when he creates us, he creates us in his own image. Again, I'm laying a foundation 
part of God's image is that he's always been in community with himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so he creates us to join in that community that he's in. He creates us to live out community as well. One of the ways that the Trinity and the community of God is explained is from this Greek word, uh, perichoresis. Peri uh, means around, and korean where we get our word choreography come, uh, from, comes from uh, this, this, this meaning of to dance. And so the idea of the Trinity, the idea of the community of God is that God is dancing around with himself, that there's this, uh, this interwoven, interconnected sort of dance that God has been engaging in for all of eternity. And God invites us into this dance so that as God is in this dance with himself. It's like where the father leaves off, the son begins, and where the son leaves off, the, the, the spirit begins. And you can't quite tell where one begins and where one ends. And so, so this is perichoresis. But, but the thing is, God invites us into the dance. See, God is in community with himself. He creates us for community, and so he creates us to be in community with himself. And, and so this is why... We have this longing inside of us for something more. We have this desire for something greater because God created us for community. And and so I I hear all the time people come and they say, you know, I grew up in the church, but then I walked away and now now I'm coming back just because I'm missing something. I want that back in my life. I, I, I talk with people who they say, you know, I've tried this and I've tried this and I've tried this, but nothing has really fulfilled. Nothing has satisfied. And so I've come back. And, and the reason, I think, is because we long for community with God. We long to be united with our maker. And until we accept that, until we join in with the dance, then we'll live a life that just doesn't satisfy. We'll live a life that comes up short because God has invited you to the dance. But the problem is, when we join in with this dance that God has been doing, like, we, we dance different moves than he does. Like, we come in and we start dancing the Cupid, the Cupid shuffle of sin, right? We, we come in with um, the, this, this ballet of belittling ourselves. We, we come in with... Uh, the romp of regret. We, we come in with all these crazy dance moves that don't fit into what God is doing. But the amazing thing is God doesn't say, what are you doing? Get out of here. Like, like he doesn't reject us. He doesn't say, never mind, go have a seat. No. But instead, God sent his one and only son to teach us the way to dance. God sent his son to take our awkwardness, to take our sin, to take our regret, to take our past on himself. And so that when Jesus died on the cross, he took all those things away. And so that as we begin to dance with God, as we get into community with God, as we accept him, God begins to teach us new ways to live. He begins to teach us new steps. He teaches us the the pirouette of peace, right? That God teaches us the two-step of triumph. Like, God teaches us a new way to dance, the, the windmill of wonder. He, he teaches us the breakdance of breakthrough, right? Like God teaches us a new way to dance and so that we can live in love and so that we can have hope and peace and joy. God teaches us a brand new way to dance as we join in community 
with him. And, and, and for some of you today, you've been trying to live your life dancing on your own. And so you think you can dance, but you can. And you've been trying your hardest, but you've never accepted the sacrifice Jesus made for you. You've never said, okay, God, I'm going to stop trying my own. I'm going to allow you to have your way in my life. I want you to change me. I want you to do something in me. I want to join in community with you. Because God has been inviting you for your whole life to join in this community. And some of you have never accepted that. And because of that, you, you just kind of wonder in life. And you're like, what, what's missing? Why isn't this working? It's because God has invited you to a dance that you've rejected for years of your life. Hey, today I want to invite you to accept the invitation God has given you to dance. If you can't dance, I can't either. But God will teach us a new way to live. I said, today, would you accept that invitation? If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I want to invite you to do that today. If you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, we have a box at the bottom of the Connect card that says, I want to accept Christ as my Savior. Would you check that box today? Would you turn it in at the black tables? We've got some people there who would love to talk with you about that, answer some questions about that, and help you through your next steps as you join in the dance of God, as you enter into community with him. For many of us, though, we've already accepted Jesus. We've given our lives to him. And I just want to remind you that, that it's a dance, that God is constantly going to teach you new things, that God is going to show you new and better ways to be in community with him and new, better ways to dance with him. And so as we take communion in a moment, would you just be reminded that even though you don't always get it right, there's times you step on God's toes. God still forgives you. God still loves you. And God, even though you may fall, he picks you back up and he says, come on, let's get this right. So as we take communion, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. There'll be some people who come down the aisles and they'll have uh, trays. In the trays are stacks of cups. We want you to take a stack of cup at the bottom stack or the bottom cup has some bread that represents Jesus' body that was broken for you. The top cup has some juice that represents his blood that was shed as a reminder that you've been forgiven. So as we take communion, would you just remember that God is calling you to community, to commune with him. And I don't know what you've done in your life. I don't know what you've done in your past. But just know that God has forgiven you. And he calls you worthy to dance with him. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray you are inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information on The Rising, visit wearetherising.com.